Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Hi, this is Pastor Rich Burkle. Welcome to Revive the Drive. I'm here with Pastor Art Georges and Pastor Daniel Bennett. And today we're continuing our series on answers to teen questions. And today, once again, we have Katie Georges with us who has a question for us. Katie, welcome again. Uh, what question do you have for us today? Um, if God knows everything and he wants the world to be perfect, why did he allow Adam and Eve to sin? All right. Once again, another great what doctrine question. What in the world is going on here? <laughs> so, so if God knows everything and he wants his world to be perfect, so the assumption is that God knows everything and that he has a future in which he's going to make everything right, why did he allow or have Adam and Eve sin in the first place? All right? Excellent question. Maybe you can share with us uh, how you've come to that question, too, today. Um. I don't really know. I just thought about it and just thought about God is perfect and Adam and Eve were once perfect. They had everything right in front of them and then he knows everything and he allowed them to sin and he was angry with them too. Yeah, wouldn't it have been awesome if Adam and Eve would not have sinned? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we think of all the trouble that's come into this world as a result of Adam mm. and Eve's sin. Uh, every uh human pain and ache, every sickness, disease, death itself, uh, every bit of trouble, every broken relationship, all of that would not have been uh, even around in this world if if Adam and Eve had not sinned and brought death to us through sin. The world is broken. All right, uh, Pastor Art, since it's your daughter, lovely daughter, who's asking this question, hmm. uh, would you like to start off with taking a stab at uh, some of the answers to, to Katie's question? Yeah, well... Um you know, the reality is that uh, we have to piece some sort of um, response to this difficult question from wisdom that we glean from Scripture because we don't get the full-blown answer, okay? There are some attributes of God that probably would have not been on display had things not unfolded the way they did, Um mm-hmm. We wonder how we would have seen um, the riches of God's grace in salvation had there not been a need for salvation and redemption. And I think of what Paul says again in Romans chapter 9 when he says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. And, and so you think about that, and, and without sin, there would have been no vessels of wrath and no vessels of glory, individuals, humans being those individual vessels. And so we see aspects of attributes of God's character that are on display in this drama of redemption that we struggle to think of how they would have been known apart from how God unfolded his story of redemption. 
Yeah, I was, whenever she asked the question, I mean, my first thought was, I don't know is a really short answer to the question. So, I, but you know, I know, I know, I know, we know the answer is God's glory. God's glory. Somehow he's, he's glorified in a unique way through this that we, we can't understand. But I, I was thinking about passages that describe that. And I was, I was thinking of the, probably what I believe is one of the, the clearest passages on, on the glory of Jesus Christ, one of the most beautiful expressions of the glory of Christ. I'm, I'm thinking of course of Colossians one, where Paul begins by saying in verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then he, on the basis of this discussion of redemption, he begins to describe who Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his Christ, through him, I say, whether things on earth uh, or things in heaven. And so we would all say that the central event, I think we'd all say that the central event of human history, and indeed that the central event of the entire universe, the reason the entire universe came into being was was the cross. It's the central mm. event. And apart from sin, there's no cross. Right. I don't understand that, but I, but I believe it to be true. Right. So, yeah, so the, the idea that uh, the cross was in God's plan even uh, at the beginning, in the foundation of the world, in, in pre-creation, God was focused on the cross. And it would show, again, his attributes and his character to a lost humanity. Yeah, and I, I think – well, some people, when they answer that question, they consider that uh, Adam and Eve's sin was somewhat of a surprise to God, and that then God had to make a plan, sort of a plan B. So here's plan A, God creates this world perfectly, and then Adam and Eve sins, and then he, he kind of backs up and says, okay, now what am I going to do now? And then he makes this plan of, of redemption. Uh, in Scripture, what we come to know through very explicit statements is that, no, God, before he said, let there be light, before he started the work of creation, had a plan for God the Son, who exists eternally, and this is where, what a great mystery. It's exciting to think about this mm-hmm. story that God has planned, that that uh, God the Son volunteered and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit ordained for the Son to take on human flesh and to die upon a cross before the foundation of the world, Scripture says. So um, one of those passages is First Peter 1, when uh, we're told that we were redeemed uh, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And it says, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, that the sons, and the sons' particular work of redemption, shedding blood, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And so uh, so we your question assumes that that's the case, but it's important for us, I think, to state it in answering it. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the answer is that, that the Son would be glorified and the mm-hmm. Father would be glorified through this display of God's rich, rich grace and mercy. Um, the other, another passage uh, is Ephesians chapter 3, 
uh, that talks about this mystery of this church that, that God redeems for himself. And it was hidden in ages past uh, in this world that God created. And it says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So what's interesting is before Adam and Eve sinned, there was the first sin, which is was Lucifer, which was Satan himself. And there was no redemption for the angels. And uh, there was no Savior. <laughs> and so, so they didn't see this aspect of God's mercy and of God's grace until they saw what God did with his other creation, which is mankind, who he created in his own image. And uh, you know, part of God's purpose is says that so that the wisdom and grace of God would be made known and God would be glorified for being a God of grace and mercy. And the angels look down and say, wow, we're just discovering something mm-hmm. of God's person that we, we, we did not know before until we see what, what God did in Christ. And so, again, with, as with a lot of these questions regarding God's purposes, there are a lot of things that are hidden to us and that we still bump into some questions that are hard and we say, Sort of like Dan, Pastor Daniel's answer. I don't know, but we do have some some of these uh, truths that that surround the answer, which is God clearly does all things for His glory. We see how He is glorified more as a result of Adam Eve's sin, and through through the death of His Son, and His and ultimately the last work is allowing His Son to bring all things into righteousness, so that whatever was undone in Adam and Eve is going to be. Uh, done back again in even greater fashion, glorious fashion, fashion in Christ when He returns. Katie, you kind of like to read, right? Your, your dad was, I was your dad was reading a, some sort of fiction book, and I <laughs> when I was uh, staying with him, and I was kind of laughing. I'm like, "Why are you reading that book?" He says, "Well, Katie's reading it." I already so, read it. Oh, he'd already, she'd already <laughs> read. It. So, what's like? What's your? What are some of your favorite stories? When, um, I kind of like the books that are that are in a kind of different world than we are, kind mm. of, like that have a different way of living, kind of. Mm. I don't know why, but I just like them in. Kind of like an alternative yeah. universe or fictional world or just, yeah, that's neat. I was thinking about your question. I was, I was thinking about um, the, just the idea of story and all this and how God is telling us a story. And mm. I think all the, all the things that I love about stories, you know, redemption and love and all those are just kind of echoes of this ultimate story of, of God's redemption. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tolkien uses the, uh, I think it's in one of the, one of the Lord of the Rings book uh, where uh, one of the, one of the hobbits, one of those hobbit guys says something like, does, does this mean that all uh, sad things are going to come untrue? Mm-hmm. You know, just in, in the process of redemption, that everything that was sad that's happened now becomes untrue and, and how God does that. And his process of redeeming us mm-hmm. through the cross, even through such a tragic thing like, like the fall, it's it's a question that's really hard as we're enduring the brokenness of the world. You know why, right. and, and right. even the saints in the tribulation. How long, O oh Lord? How long they're going to ask? And yet, it's a question that that is going to completely go away when we experience His glory. Mm-hmm. It's a question we're not going to return to and go back. I wonder why God is. Oh, okay, I understand. Uh, the joy is so full right now as a result of how God's story played out and what God did in grace and mercy. Thank you again, Katie, for uh, sharing us with, with us that an awesome question. And now we uh, turn to T.R. Hoffman, another uh, man of immense abilities with asking questions to pastors. <laughs> and so, T.R., we're excited that you're here with us again. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. What question do you have for us today? Okay, so... 
a long, long time ago, I memorized Second uh, Timothy three sixteen seventeen. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, uh, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So I understand that every like every part of the Bible is helpful, but what about like the genealogies or like I have Judges ten three through five. Uh, he was followed by Jair of Gilead, who led Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys, and they controlled 30 towns in Gilead, which to this day are called Havath Jair. And when Jair died, he was buried in Kamon. And uh, that's all we hear of this guy. So how is that, how is that helpful? Awesome question. Yeah. Um, that, that actually has, has uh, much more uh, significance and meaning than, than uh, um, most people think about that question could uh, imagine even. So... Appreciate that. Well, uh, Pastor Daniel is uh, your favorite pastor here because he's your, your pastor of your church. So we'll let uh, Pastor Daniel begin. With I'm the so glad you're question. his favorite pastor right now. <laughs> <laughs> what was that passage in Judges again? Judges uh, 10? Judges 10, 3 through 5. See, I haven't memorized Second Timothy, but I did memorize this passage in Judges. No, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a great question. And as I think about... Uh, the the purpose of scripture, you're you're exactly right. Uh, and th- in fact, that passage, Second Timothy, it, it's kind of interesting. When I was in seminary, uh, we we talked about that first part of verse sixteen. All scripture is inspired by God, and we spent probably four weeks on, you know, what is scripture? What does it mean to be inspired? That, you know, inerrant, how does inerrancy relate to all? So we spent a ton of time talking about that, and we never got to the last part of the question that you've gotten to in your question, which is it's profitable for something, for several things, teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. It has a purpose so that we can be adequate equipped for every work. So uh, what we have to do as we approach Scripture is we have to have this assumption, uh, several assumptions. One, we understand that we're fallen. We understand that God has a divine solution for our fallen nature. And we understand that that Scripture contains that that divine solution uh, for our fallen nature. When you come to, to hard text to understand, there's there's several questions that you ask as, as you approach. Uh, and, and let's let's use this this passage in in Judges just as an example. There's a there's a lot of of tough stuff in Judges, and so what you do is you approach a book like Judges. You say, well, well, what aspect of our our fallen nature is being addressed here in Judges? Why why did God decide to include this? Of all the things that God could have put in Scripture, why tell us about? these different judges and this guy with uh, the donkeys and sons riding the donkeys. Why that? And uh, people who are sometimes enemies of, of Christianity will sometimes take one or two verses and, and kind of say, well, that, that's, that's so ridiculous. Why would this be there? But let, let's, let's look at judges. What is God's redemptive purpose in the book of judges? And what's taking place in judges is uh, God, I believe, is, is showing us this cycle. And, and it's not just Judges 10. You see this throughout Judges. There's this cycle of, first of all, there's sin on the part of the people. Then they are brought into some sort of servitude. God delivers them over to, to some sort of servitude. And then there's there's salvation. There's there's deliverance. God will, will raise up a person of deliverance. Now, as you see this cycle, that the problem is it's not just a cycle that goes around a circle. It's this cycle that is a downward spiral, and so the, the sin gets worse and worse and worse until you come to the end of the book of Judges. And I can remember being a little boy reading the book of Judges and my dad coming to one of the past, one of the chapters and saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to read this as a family because it's so gruesome and it's too, too mm-hmm. gruesome for the younger kids. Oh, wow. So 
Now uh, everyone's going to go to that panel. What, what was he talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know. I was like, that's <laughs> awesome, man. I know what I do for my devotions tomorrow morning. So uh, so what's, what's, what is God trying to teach us in Judges? Over and over in the, this expression, everyone did what was right in his, his own eyes. There was no king in Israel. And so what I think you see in Judges is a yearning for the ultimate king. And mm-hmm. this guy and his donkeys, Samson, all, all these guys are there for a time, but none of them fit the bill of of doing what God has intended this this ultimate king to do. There's a need for Jesus. And that's that's the ultimate interpretive tool, I believe, for approaching Scripture is all Scripture eventually in some way points us to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and, and his kingship. Yeah, yeah, and you'd be amazed that uh, God's blessed the church with scholars who have been able to focus on certain areas um, of say, Old Testament scholarship even, and languages. And so uh, we can draw from the wisdom and the Spirit of God working through men and women throughout church history to uh, teach us how an obscure passage uh, in the Bible might fit in a greater way. And, and uh, um, for instance, I, I was um, teaching through uh, – David's sin with Bathsheba recently, and uh, an Old Testament, uh, well, really a biblical scholar wrote a commentary that helped me to understand some of the dynamics that led to Absalom, his son's rebellion against him, and how he was able, Absalom was able to gather a group of people who would have been frustrated with David because of his sin. And I thought, wow, I would not have known that if they hadn't focus some of their attention on helping me to see that. And so um, that's one of the blessings that we can rely on others. Now, again, what does that passage in Second Timothy tell us? It tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. That's all we really need, but we benefit from these other people who have done this work to help us understand some passages like Judges 10, 3 through 6. Like, I'm not quite sure what we're learning about the 30 donkeys and 30 sons, I guess it means that uh, God blessed him as he was helping to judge Israel. Uh, these judges were raised up for the good of Israel, uh, for the oppression of the, um, the nations as they came against, but they were ultimately, as Daniel said, looking for that perfect king, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and judge. Yeah, the guy and his donkeys are, is insufficient. And the guy, so verse, the next verse after the verses you read uh, verse 6, it says, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtaroth and the gods of Aram. So so it, it didn't work. And right. It wasn't ultimately right. the, the king that could, could bring about deliverance. And, you know, that's I think that's just a good approach to a lot of these issues. you, you got to get – once if you're having trouble understanding what's happening in a passage, increase the context. Yeah. Increase the context and understand what's the, what's the historical redemptive purpose behind this passage. Yeah, and, and the assumption behind the, the – question again is an excellent one uh, the, a lot of these questions that we're getting from the teenagers are, are great questions and for a lot of reasons but one of them is is that you guys are asking questions that have very sound assumptions mm-hmm. so your assumption comes mm-hmm. from uh the doctrinal understanding of of uh second timothy 3 16 17 that every word is profitable so do we really believe that and and there are skeptics who use these kinds of verses to say, well, show me how this could possibly be profitable. 
um, I had a Bible professor in in uh, seminary who uh, talked about the way a lot of people read their Bibles. They say it's it, they read Genesis, Exodus, and then it's a jet ride to Joshua. <laughs> you know, so, so, because they don't understand how does how does, how does Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, how does that play in? Because there's so much of it that you say, how is this profitable? Um, of course, we we don't have time to get into every text uh, regarding its profitability, but I, I can say that the passages that seem most difficult to understand and particularly to grasp their profitability are often mm-hmm. the passages that will uh, elicit the, the greatest blessing when you discover it. And so Second uh, Timothy three sixteen seventeen does not say all Scripture, every word of Scripture, is equally apparent in its profitability. Oh. It just says all Scripture is profitable. And uh, as as Pastor Daniel and Art have been discussing some of those principles to say, how is this profitable? Well, there is profit behind it. There is no scripture that anyone can point to and say there is no profit to this whatsoever, uh, that it's all profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, that's the challenge of pastors like us to reveal to people uh, the profitability of every passage of scripture. And it's our joy as well. Sounds like I'm going to need some interpretation practice then. <laughs> there we go. That's that's great, Tr. Well, I, I I think God's going to use you greatly in in your life as you continue to pursue Him. So it's awesome. Well, thanks for joining us at Revive the Drive. Uh, we will have another installment uh, on questions uh, that teens ask and answers to those questions.